Welcome to the Citizens Report. It's the 13th of August. I'm Robert Barwick. And I'm joined today by a Citizens Party founder and leader, Craig Isherwood. Welcome, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Robbie. In this week's Citizens Report, manufacturing idiocy is killing Australia. And truth to power, Senator confronts government on a national bank. Um, Craig, before we begin, I encourage people to uh, help us get the message out on this show. Please like the video, um, subscribe if you're not already a subscriber, click the bell icon so that you're notified of future updates and share this please, right? This is how we get the message out. It's, it's, it's actually, it's paying off, thank goodness for that. And the specific things we reference in the show, you can always find out more information by clicking on the I in the corner of the screen above Craig's head there. Um, before we begin, though, Craig, also a few updates on other matters. Yeah, and good. sometimes this can take a little while. Hopefully yeah. it won't. But there's a few things that, that regular viewers would be interested to know. First of all, last week we had breaking news when we recorded the show that Australia Post was um, paying retention bonuses to keep executives and stop them from either following Christine Holgate out the door mm -hmm. or... Um, just leaving in general, yeah. right? Because it's a, it's become a dysfunctional cesspool of hypocritical corruption. That's Australia Post right now, yep. and this is what the government wanted it to be. And we've, um, got a, we've got a press release out on that, Robbie, which was entitled Morris's, Morrison's Assault on Christine Holgate was never about taxpayers' money and Cartier watches. And there is a, there'll be a link in the... Because uh, let's remind below. people, the watches, the Cartier watches for which you saw this grandstanding by the Prime Minister, she can go, mm -hmm. were $5,000 each to four executives, $5,000 watches to, to add up to 20000 in total, to four executives who had just literally worked their butts off over many, many months, weekends and public holidays as well, to land, which was not their job description, way beyond their job description, to help Christine Holgate land the best deal in Australian Post, Australia Post history, which was to make the banks pay um, $20 million a year for post offices serving their customers through the Bank of Post Service. $5,000. And the government re reacted in outrage to, the, to, the, uh, to that waste of taxpayers' money. How much are the retention bonuses, Craig? Yeah, quarter of a million, $250,000. Quarter 000. of a million dollars. To stop people leaving this dysfunctional organisation, this same board and the same chair who sat there in Senate hearings and said, we would never have approved those bonus, those watches, are approving $250,000 retention bonuses. And Robbie, this week, the Commonwealth Bank announced a profit of $9 billion. And $9 billion. Now, that should be always been in public hands in the first place, but we're talking about the banks paying for services that previously were crucifying local yep. licensed post offices in the regions. And of but, course their the new, but their renewal of their deal with Australia Post is for half the price. Right. There, there's a flood of bank branch closures around Australia, which is forcing more and more people to bank at Post, at Australia Post, yet the, um, the banks have taken advantage of the situation. They're now paying $10 million a year instead of $20 million a year. Yeah. So, Robbie, if people want to get a, a copy or look at this. They should this have a look at that. It's on our website as well. It's also down the uh, the comments down below. We'll put a link there. And the one, I'd I want to highlight one of the, the um, people who's left, 
or has announced he's going to leave is Nicole Sheffield. Now, Nicole Sheffield was actually a very good executive at Australia Post. She did get, she did like the rest of them, she got caught up in all the, the shenanigans around Christine Holgate at the end there. But under Christine Holgate, who had done such a brilliant job, this, this executive, Nicole Sheffield, was excellent. And she's the person who had, Christine Holgate said, we're going to change the situation for the licensed post offices. Mm -hmm. right? We've highlighted that before. They were in a terrible situation for 30 years. She transformed it. But the person who put in place all those changes was this person, Nicole Sheffield. And she's one of the ones that's left. And that's, that underscores how dysfunctional Australia Post is. We have to keep the, the, um, the pressure on this, Craig, because um, the government is showing no signs of responding to the inquiry, right? And we cannot let them get away with running into the ground again. So we will keep well, eye on this issue. Well, the issue here, Robert, we pointed out, we made very public, it was the privatisation of Australia Post. That's what they were yep. pushing for. Yep. They'll run it into the ground and say, oh, this thing's not profitable anymore. Therefore, we want to sell it off. And they'll do it through a process of yep. attrition over time, you know. But it's a people's... Well, now there's a new guy coming. He's taking his... The new CEO is taking his job next month, right? But he's not going to have very many experienced executives no. around him. And that's the problem. So people better bear, bear them. This is going to be a continuous campaign for us. Yep, yep. And uh, we'll keep supporting the licensed post office uh, group. All right, so that's... sure it happens. No, exactly. So let's move on now. Just another quick update. Sterling First. And Sterling First is the, the financial scandal that's all around Australia, but the, the, um, the greatest number of these victims are in Western Australia. Elderly people who got... Um, caught up in this rent-for-life scam, as it turned out, a managed investment scheme, except they just thought they were paying up front for, to rent for the rest of their life. Um, they need to be compensated, Craig. Now, the government's done nothing. Uh, we, want to, we want them compensated. We want to inquire into ASIC. They're on their own at the moment, though, and so what they're forced to do is, is try and pursue court action, but the only people they can, they can sue are the people trying to evict them from their homes. And the people trying to evict them from their homes are the landlords. And the landlords, frankly, some of them are the victims too. They also got drawn into this, right? Mm. But these, so there's a court case today in Western Australia. I'll just, I'll just mention it's happening. It's an 80-year-old taking his landlord to court to say, look, I have a residential tenancy agreement here. It's a legal one. And I've paid, I've paid my part of it. I've paid up front, right? This should be um, upheld as a legal thing and I should be able to stay in my home. Now, if he's successful... It means the landlord, not that the landlord should wear the loss, but the landlord should be involved in making sure the government pays the compensation to the victims, which includes the landlords. Mm -hmm. At the moment, the government's just leaving them to themselves, and so they're trying to fight among themselves over, over who gets what. And some of these landlords, I mean, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to take a side necessarily, but the landlords are in a better position than the tenants because these are elderly people. They can't start again, and they're all being evicted from their homes now thanks to this, right? So... That's a terrible thing. We will keep updating that as well. Um, but just know it's happened and we have to have that inquiry and there has to be compensation. This would be quick to fix if the government had the will and they never do. And then finally, Craig, um, uh, in terms of update, I, this week I took on the, the, uh, the China war issue in a big way. We'll touch on that again in a little bit. Um, but I did an interview on a, on, a, on a show on YouTube by a Canadian who lives in uh, China named Daniel Dumbrell. Um, we'll put the link there. <laughs> it ended up being five hours of discussion over two over two discussions. Good stamina, right? Already. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, it was, it was it was quite something and it's had a lot of views. But people can go and look at that if they're actually really interested in the subject. Please have a look. Um, the, the the links will be there. Like I said, I just want to I just want to 
emphasised, I, I always see the hypocrisy in this China question. The latest one relates to an Australian named Cheng Lei who worked for CGTN in China, and it's the anniversary of her being detained. And she's been detained, she hasn't seen her kids for 12 months, her kids are here in Melbourne, and, it's, and it seems a terrible story, right? And the assumption is um, this is all completely uh, unnecessary by the Chinese, she would have done nothing wrong, this is China being dictatorial, etc. And a whole bunch of journalists have got together and written a petition, signed a petition to the Chinese government, please let this journalist go, we journalists stick together. Not so fast, because also this week, there's another journalist, much more famous than Cheng Lei, he's also an Australian. His name is Julian Assange, and I can almost guarantee you there would be hardly any names on this petition supporting this Chinese journalist in, in China who are also supporters of Julian Assange, because they don't think he's a journalist. Why? Because one of them actually exposes the real crimes that America and Britain and Australia do, and in too many of our journalists, they don't believe those crimes exist. The only crimes ever committed by China, and it's sanctimony and it's wrong, and it'll never convince China if you really... I put out a tweet. If you really want China to free this woman, don't get journalists to lobby on her behalf. <laughs> they're the last person group of people you would want to lobby. They got. They think they're the most credible people in the world, and they're not. Sorry, journalists, you're not. You've 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 um you've you've sold too many lies and wars in the past, and so um, it's not going to be resolved that way. Anyway, that's just one example. Um. As usual, Craig, that was a long update. Oh, well, they're important updates, Robbie, because you know we don't get to talk to that's our broad right. audience on a regular basis other than this program. Luckily, we don't take ad breaks anymore. Yeah, that's right. All right. <laughs> okay, now, first, our first major story, manufacturing idiocy is killing Australia. Craig, remember this story from last year. 20th, you and I, yeah. sitting in these I positions, 20th of March 2020, on our show, and I'm going to play the opening few minutes of that show. Have a look. But before we begin, Craig, we have a truly important tribute to do right now to a great Australian hero by the name of Joe Carmody. Now, Joe probably won't appreciate us doing this. He's in a nursing home in Shepparton, um, and he's not always very aware of his surroundings. But something happened this week that every Australian must appreciate the significance of. We have a coronavirus pandemic sweeping the world. It's caught Australia completely flat-footed because... We're totally exposed to this because we, don't, we can't produce enough things for ourselves. And the government, when it finally started to get its act together, and I don't think it's fully got its act together, um, in order to ramp up the production of personal protective equipment, PPE, mm -hmm. right, and surgical face masks, they turned to the only company in Australia that produces them in Shepparton, and it's called Medcon. Now, Medcon was co-founded by Joe Carmody, who's a long-time member and supporter of the Citizens Party. He's a truly great guy. You'll see footage of as I'm talking about him and his um, production works up there. But this is, a, this is a man who epitomized and personified, Craig, what the Citizens Party stands for. That's why he was a member of our party. Um, he started his working life as an engineer at SPC, the cannery up there. And he was a really brilliant engineer, invented all kinds of new processes, right? Yeah. Um, against a lot of red tape too, Robbie. I must point that out. I mean, there's a lot of manufacturing industries that just shut down. They're frustrated because of all the yep. red tape. And well, the, that's right. He, he had to fight hard to swim against the tide. Exactly. And he did many things that ended up with results that weren't supposed to happen, but if he had followed the government regulations. And before I continue, let me just say, there's thousands of Joe Carmody's out there, Craig, Absolutely. who've kept this country going against the economic insanity of the two major political parties, 
their criminal economic policies that dismantle this country. And the old timers who understand how an economy works and they're on farms and they're in the little machining shops, etc., they've kept this country going. And in this particular case, here's the one company that the, country, the, the government could turn to. It's in Shepparton. They said we have to expand production. Pakapana was up the road. They brought in the troops, um, military personnel to help increase production 10, 15 times for surgical masks because our system's going to desperately need them. And it's only because this man kept his company going when so many outsourced theirs. So that was the great Joe Carmody. This is a man who, he should have been Australian of the Year last year. He kept, manuf he kept his business going, and when the country needed it, it was the only person to turn to for PPEs, as, as I said there. Yeah, he, Robbie, we knew him very well for many years as a member of the Citizens' Party, and he was a genius. Yeah. I mean, he was inventing and making machinery from scratch just by thinking through the processes. And it was interesting because when we had to ramp up the production of masks, because there wasn't any in Australia, yeah. they actually had to reverse engineer the because, machines because that he Joe, made. Joe's an old guy now. He's actually got dementia. He, had, he doesn't know any of this. No. He's got dementia in an aged care system. He, he doesn't tell know him. about his legacy being so important yeah. to Australia this year. So the, the, they had to re, re, you know, re, what's called reverse engineer. Look at how he produced uh, the machines and then copy and make those better. Yeah. Because were, this, these were built by him from his own head of how you know, he invented them. And this was, that was quite stunning. And it, he was the only mask manufacturer, as we've seen, in Australia. Now, yeah, incredible. And the, the, here's what the ramp I, I, un, I understated it last year. Yeah, I, you we did. didn't know yet. They actually ramped it up, not 15 to 20 fold, from 2 million to 60 million. That factory normally produced 2 million surgical masks a year. Last year it produced 60 million. It had 150 people working around the clock, clock operating 10 machines. Well, what's it doing now, Craig? It is, right. as we speak, it's back to 25 staff on two machines. Why? Because the government health departments in Australia are back to sourcing their PPE from overseas. That means what, what these companies are doing sourcing it overseas is they're literally sending out that wealth that could be created, yep. produced here in Australia, and they're saying, oh, we can get it cheaper from overseas. Yes, from a monetary point of view, you can. But what about the other 125 people that could have had a job in sure. our community, spending that money in our community, contributing, contributing, taxes, and so forth, things. having a, so a product within a sovereign manufacturing capacity. That's right, that capacity. Is, having that is capacity. Capa that that is actually real wealth. Money is an idiot, and it destroys wealth because what we're doing is shifting the productive capacity that produces wealth of you know overseas. That's what we represent as a political party. This concept of creating wealth means you produce things. Who cares about the price? And look, we have to be tough on this, that we're being ruled by idiots. And it was bad enough that organisations like us existed before the pandemic to say, we need to manufacture in Australia, right? You cannot live in this fake world where we're all perfectly connected, nothing ever goes wrong. You've got to have a capacity here. Then the pandemic hit, and it looked like at the when it hit, it looked like there was a lot of politicians in Parliament saying, "Oh yeah, oh, oh this is boy, this is a reminder. We're going to have to have some manufacturing here." But now we've had that experience; we're still in it, mm. and already they're going back to their bad habits. This is idiocy. This is manufacturing idiocy. We're ruled by idiots, and we're ruled by idiots, Craig, that are well-educated idiots, and they're taught in economics things like the law. 
of comparative advantage. And what makes them an idiot is they think this is a law that you have to obey. Yeah. Right? Comparative advantage means Australia's advantage in the world economy is we have good big holes that you can get iron ore out of. So we'll contribute that. New Zealand's advantage is uh, sheep and dairy. They can contribute that. China's advantage, though less so now, but it was for a long time, cheap labour. Now it's Bangladesh's advantage is cheap labour. Africa's advantage is cheap labour. They contribute that, right? Singapore, uh, Taiwan's advantage is advanced semiconductors. But, Robert, I, don't, I don't see any advantage. I want to tell you a story. It's not an advantage. Let, let, let me tell you something. This week, we've got a printer out in the front office there, right? Right. Try to get a toner cartridge for it. There's none available in Australia. And there's no hint of when those will be available. So that printer is going to run out of toner. We're going to have to buy another printer where there is toner. Now you think, oh, where's the comparative <laughs> advantage for that, right? We don't produce printers, just normal printers. Yeah, and because yeah. of everyone's in lockdown... Everyone's gone out and bought printers. There's so many new printers out there now they can't supply the toners because the factories in various parts of the world are shut down because of lockdowns and, and stuff. someone told me, I told you Where's the other day. Where's the comparative day, advantage of I this? I told you the other day, remember, that this, there's a, the house prices in Sydney are booming because there's actually a shortage of supply for, the, for real this time. And the, part of the shortage of supply is, is a, there's, a, there's impediments to building because they can't get things like, and the example I was given was hinges. Yeah. And hinges are a fairly simple thing. Nobody, the mentality is this. Oh, well, this will be over sometime. Why would we gear up to invest in what it takes to, to produce hinges when in a little while we ought to get it cheaper from somewhere else? Hmm. And cheaper? That's, yeah, yeah, that's why we don't have toner. That's why no one's making toner. Where's the price signals? Right to say, oh, there's a market demand. I'll fill it. No, no, no. Uh, these guys are committed to this insanity. Are we are we so dumb in Australia that we can't produce a laser printer in a factory here in Australia, which is sovereign, which can produce our you know good quality you know prints? I wonder what the people who used to make Rank Arena televisions and those sort of well, things this in is the problem. Would think and look, about look at the thing about the price, Robbie. Yeah. Now it was a four hundred dollar printer. What's the use of that $400 print if you can't use it? It's going to be a $1,000 toner. <laughs> well, that's what's... That, uh, actually, the, the toner cartridge is the same price as the printer. All right. I want to remind people, Craig, of how idiotic well, well, I think the rulers we've just are. The how, just yeah. how idiotic. Well, we're going to quote one of them. Oh, really? Um, what did the National Party... Senator, we, we talked about him last time we were on the show together. What did the National Party Senator Matt Canavan say would supply our... would solve our supply chain problems? A few weeks ago on this, on this interview with uh, Steve Bannon's War Room Pandemic. Have a look. Uh, what I think we should do is make sure we develop supply chains that cut out China. Uh, we, we've got to do that together. Even now, before any of this happens, we should be working together so that China doesn't produce 60% of the world's steel. You know, we've got the iron ore and coking coal here. I'd love to send it to someone else to make steel. Let's do that. Same thing. God forbid we manufacture here, Matt. <laughs> right? Now, our press release today, Craig, takes this up, and I'm going to go through some of it. But one of the things we have on here, um, the, the press release is called Tell the Senate Revive Manufacturing with the National Development Bank. But we do have a link at the bottom to something that makes Matt Canavan look like an idiot because it's a great video we've produced called Build the Iron Boomerang. Yep. In those very coal and iron ore fields, you can connect his coal fields to West Australia's iron ore fields, and we can be producing first past steel, both ends, yep. right? And it's a project that we explained it all. Um, uh, the, the people behind it have gone, done all the legwork. This would transform Australia. And it could also it. help build the Bradfield scheme, Robbie. We will put some links in the comments below. People should watch these two videos because, look, 
They're phenomenal. They're, they they're, are. They're, they're, are. They're, look, they're, they're ready to go. They're turnkey type projects. These are not going to require years and years and years of, of, of development. They're ready to go now. Yeah, what we're leading to though, Craig, is we, one of the, we don't like just being talking heads commentators, right? No. We're, we're talking about this for a reason because we want you to help us intervene in it. Now, there was, we did something quite extraordinary last year and a similar opportunity has come up. So last year there was a, Senate inquiry, a joint parliamentary inquiry into diversifying trade and investment in Australia because the whole premise was we're too dependent on China. That was great. And so we encouraged everyone, including viewers, make a submission to this inquiry saying we need a national development bank. And we flooded it with submissions. And what happened when the inquiry handed down its report in February? The final recommendation was a national development bank for Australia. Because what does a national development bank do? It gives the government a tool if they're for the, you know, we're going to need some more sensible people in government, granted, but it gives them a tool where they can invest in the basic wherewithal that it takes to make manufacturing happen. You don't even have to think of it in terms of, oh, Craig, we want to bring all our industries back. We want to bring sock making back and all that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe those sort of things can happen one day. You don't even have to think of it in those terms. There are, there's a lot of potential already out there. There's thousands of Joe Carmody's around Australia, as we mentioned in that video, um, who are smart, ingenious people with a little bit of backing. Some of them can bring their ideas and innovations to market, hmm. which we usually lose in Australia. With lots of innovations here that gets lo get lost overseas because no one will back them. The private banks are just not interested. They're only interested in housing loans, right? Yeah. And if they do make business loans, whereas their housing loans are 1% to 2%, their business loans are 5 to 10%. And it should be the opposite way around. Well, no, I mean, it should for be the good for, of the economy, for sure. Not 5 right? to 10% for mortgage rates, for sure, but you know, 2% for small business loans. Robbie, I know in the 90s, sorry, 1987, 1988, you know, in the recession we had to have, you know, the controlled disintegration of the economy. Yeah. This was the policy back then. I had a business, I had to borrow at 18.5%. My housing loan was 15%. Right, this was just destroyed the economy at that point, and that's why we, we you know, shut down manufacturing. That's why you see a lot of manufacturing industries simply shut down. Yep. It's because the access to credit was just not there, and this was the policy, and it still is the policy. Without yeah. a national bank, without a national development bank, you can't wrest the controls of credit off the private centre yeah. se sector and put it back into the into the government and direct it where it needs to go. And the most successful. Um, productive economies in the world today use development banks. Yeah. China does, Japan does, South Korea does, etc. And that's what we're talking about because you don't just—it's not just a source of capital; they can actually become a concentration of expertise as well. Yes, right. And you have all sorts of support. To, but it comes—it starts with the political will and intent. We want manufacturing here, right? But this is this this development bank question is crucial. So, the Senate has just, that was successful last year with that intervention. We need to do it again because the Senate this week passed a motion setting up a specific inquiry into manufacturing. Mm -hmm. um, I won't go through all the terms of reference, but it's pretty broad, covers well, the whole picture. We'll put your press release or put yeah, the press release Yeah, read our press release. The, it's, down, the details down, are all there. Down below. Um, it was actually moved by Senator Kimberly Kitching of the Labor Party, who regular viewers would know um, that name. There's an irony um, there. Yeah, but I suspect her motivation is is part of this anti-China stuff. Whereas now that's that's you know I totally disagree on that. But the, if the difference between Kimberly Kitching and Matt Canavan, who's also anti-China, is that Kimberly Kitching at least wants to manufacture for ourselves if we go to war, 
which yep. we shouldn't. It'd be a war of annihilation. But at least if that's different, it's slightly more sensible. But if they do, if they play games with this and just make it a talk fest, it'll be a waste of time. We can make sure it's not a waste of time. So we're calling on you. Click on the link and get involved. Make a submission. If you know anything about this subject, make a submission. Even if you don't, send an email saying you must talk about a national development bank, right? Because we're building a crescendo of attention on this. We will get a breakthrough. And you'll see when I discuss the, uh, the next story um, uh, uh, how that, you know, the, the potential that, that's, that's growing there. Just before we move on to that, though, I just wanted to um, mention two quick things. One of the um, last, we, we covered this so much last year, Craig, uh, before the Australia Post issue, that we, there's a lot of material on our website people can find. But one of the things we've always highlighted is Australia was once a manufacturing powerhouse. Yeah. And it was, it was the legacy of World War II. And the story of World War II is brilliant, how quickly we geared up manufacturing in this country to be the biggest part of our economy. And we kept that going for decades after the war, thanks to the th investments in things like the car industry, you know, building projects like the Snow Mountain Scheme, et cetera, right? We manufactured. Mm. And, and why? Because we were committed to manufacturing. We stopped manufacturing when we lost the commitment. And we played here some, you know, Paul Keating comments. He was the Prime Minister essentially responsible for losing our manufacturing, who poo-pooed the idea of people working in factories. Yes, right. particularly around here in Coburg. Particularly, particularly around here in Coburg. Um, so that's something to bear in mind, and we can get that back, right? We did this before in this country, and we've got old-timers who remember doing it, and hopefully some of them are viewers. The irony here, Robbie, is that Bob Hawke, right, who was responsible for a lot of this disintegration, yeah. was the member for this, this area, which used to be the manufacturing hub. TCF Manufacturing Hub, here, textile clothing and footwear here. And that's been, it was all destroyed, starting from that period. Yeah. Um, and then I have to call out my mate Paul Jindra. Now, Paul's a... a uh, high-technology, CNC-aided engineering business here in Melbourne, um, who was talking to me a lot about this. And he's one of the things he points out is, with all the chaos around the pandemic, there is actually, if you are in manufacturing in Australia um, now, if you're still existing, you're, you're pretty busy, mm -hmm. right? Because the supply chains are still disrupted, mm -hmm. right? So he's, he's pointed that out. But here's the guy who said to me last year when they, when they unveiled $300 billion dollars of basically printed money by the Reserve Bank for the pandemic. He said, if they're just going to create all this money, make you just, just take five billion of it and give it to a thousand engineering businesses, right? Independent engineering businesses and say, take this money. And Paul was Paul's an old Czechoslovakian guy and he said, if the, the, tell them you can't use it to buy a house or a car or you go to jail. <laughs> you use this money to get your product to market. And this then he said to me, and it blew me away, he said, some will fail. Some will succeed, but you're spending the money anyway. Some will succeed. He said about 10 of them will become bigger than BHP. Wow, yeah. And that was his assessment as a very, very cluey guy of the manufacturing potential in this country. And that's the key, right? Robbie. It's potential. That potential yeah. exists, but it's been strangled. Yeah. All right, now, so let's move to the next subject, which is related. Um, truth to power Senator confronts government on a national bank. And this actually is an insight into the discussion that we're having on this show that for a lot, our show is over 10 years old, Craig. For most of that 10 years, the discussion of, a nation, of national banking in Australia was on this show, yes. virtually nowhere else, mm -hmm. right? 
Now, it's a lot of it is happening in Parliament. And, and the 20 years before this show, Robbie, we were still talking about a national that's, bank that's through other own. means. On our own. So, interesting fact. There's two national banks in Australia already. National bank meaning government-owned bank, right? Mm -hmm. One is called the Clean Energy Finance Corporation, which is a $10 billion institution that's there to put public money into clean energy which technology. Which Bobcat is calling to fund the Bradfield scheme, which is a... Well, we, that was our idea last year, right? We, we, we said that's the easiest thing to adapt to a broader development bank perspective. But because $10 billion is too small. There's another one, even smaller, called the Regional Investment Corporation. But it's there. It's there. It's the government has this as, as a way to support regional investment. The problem's not the institution. The problem's the intention. It's too small. America if you've been watching the news, has just announced this infrastructure deal. Now, that's mm. a big amount of money, it One seems, trillion. a trillion dollars. Mm. They have in there this institution called the National Infrastructure Financing Authority. Again, it's too small. It's $10 billion, right? It won't do anything, um, but it's there. as this, you know, this can be a public institution to do what needs to be done. America's needs are much greater, though. Right, and the Institute of Engineers has said, "Look, we need at least four trillion dollars just to bring infrastructure up to speed." Right, and if you want to develop, we need eight trillion dollars. So there's a bill in the U.S. Congress called the National Infrastructure Bank Act of 2021, and that's there now. Now we have we have a we have excerpts in this week's Australian Alert Service, Craig, which is our yep. free mag our weekly magazine. That if you haven't had a copy before, you can contact us and get a free copy. And we have excerpts of the bill in here, and um, perhaps the producer can put some of these graphics up there on how, how it will be funded. This is an excellent bill. It's for $5 trillion for infrastructure, and it won't cost the budget a cent because of this unique way it funds itself by... Um, America's got about $20 trillion in public debt. That exists in the form of bonds. Mm -hmm. And the people have set up this bank so that holders of those bonds can actually take their bonds and invest it in this bank... Right, not not cash. Put their bonds in the bank, and the bank will pay them half a percent more than they're getting on the bonds. But those bonds, they want five hundred billion of them as their capital, against which they can create through normal banking ten to one, five trillion dollars in lending. Mm -hmm. Right for federal authorities, states, and state authorities, local governments, and local authorities to build the infrastructure America needs, and they could have high-speed trains and all those sort of things that, that um, they've never got their act together to do. So that's there, and it the bill itself, it's really worth reading because it's, it's very simply written. It explains how it would all work, right? The only reason you wouldn't go with a system like this, Craig, is because the private banks don't want the competition. Exactly. They want to monopolise the financial system. So this week, we have had... Um, there was an event yesterday, or, or on Wednesday, today's Friday, there was an event on Wednesday where there was a speech, there was a debate on the inland rail. And we're going to play a video excerpt now of Senator Gerard Rennick. Because he got up to make a contribution. Now, on our YouTube channel, we've, we've got the full speech. We're not going to play the whole thing, but it's worth watching the full speech, including the things that he says on the inland rail itself. But in the middle of his speech, he went very forcefully for a national infrastructure bank and he revealed that he's having discussions with the Treasury about it. So have a look. But anyway, back to the inland rail. If we want to go forward in Queensland and get it back on track, we need to build. I mean, ultimately, if you went to a desert island, would you either A, go to a foreign bank and take out a loan, or B, would you build? 
And if we want to get back on track in this country, we have to start building. We have to do what Lachlan Macquarie did in, in 1810 when he got here. The first 17 years of the colony, we relied on foreign currency, had a drought in 1805, and all the foreign country got repatriated and they started bartering and trading in rum. And of course, as we all know what happens when you drink too much rum, it all ends up in a bit of a rum rebellion and all the sorts of nasty things. And Lachlan Macquarie was the first governor to see Australia as a country, not just a colony. He knows every country needs its own currency because that way you can issue sovereign credit against sovereign wealth. And we have to look at an infrastructure bank, and I'm just about to run off to the Treasurer, hopefully he doesn't stand me up again, uh, to talk about getting an infrastructure bank going in this country, because we can match sovereign credit against sovereign wealth. Now, a lot of people tell you you can't print money. Well, guess what? We're printing money now. We're printing $5 billion a week, but we're spending it. Now, that will cause inflation, because if you're printing and spending, you're going to increase demand. But guess what? If you print and build, you'll increase the supply of essential services. You'll provide more water. You can supply more power from power stations. You can buy, provide better transport routes. Not only does that raise revenue, not only does that raise revenue for governments, that then means you've got less taxes going forward, it increases the supply of central services and it pushes down the cost of doing business. So it will make Australia much more competitive uh, in trying to compete with other countries. And if we want to bring back manufacturing in this country, we need to start building. That is the only way forward. So, I mean, Craig, um, that was excellent by Jared Rennick. He knows this stuff. I do want to make it, just as a technical thing, right? He used the term printing money. Now, that is purely a figure of speech. Yes, it is. Okay? That, just, just understand that. It's just a, it's another, he, he's, he's just taking the fact that quantitative easing, which is also not money printing literally, but it's a way of inventing money to prop up the economy through the banking system, um, he's saying, well, you guys can just conjure that up. Don't tell me that, the, that using bank credit, which, actually, which is actually a different mechanism, it's an older mechanism, it, it is not money printing because you're, 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 um, the bank is issuing credit against itself, right? And that credit's accepted if the institution is sound enough. And there's nothing, the, only thing more sound, the only thing that's really sound in Australia is the nation, yeah. The nation has the wealth, and that's what Jared's point. You can issue the credit against the, the sovereign credit against the sovereign wealth, right? Um, and you can think of that as in, while that credit's there, that in, it gets to function as money. It's known as bank money, and that's why he's using that term. But don't get hung up on that. He's just talking about normal banking of creating credit. But the difference here, Robbie, is that you have a senator now yep. talking about actually taking control of the finances of the nation and deploying it for the nation. That's the key. That is incredible. I mean, Bob Catter is similar ideas, right? But Gerard, this is the first time we've actually seen Gerard Rennick stand up in the parliament and say, we need this bank. And now he's fighting for it because he knows as... Well, he revealed there that he's actually in discussions with the, yeah. the top levels of the government, right? And that's exactly, what's, that's exactly what's required. Now, we've written the legislation for an Australian postal yep. bank. We've written the legislation for an Australian development bank. We've also written the legislation for an Australian national bank where all these ideas can come to fruition. But it's a political fight, Robbie, and that's why it's really important that people get involved, understand the issues by looking at all the content we put on these videos, and then support us. Support us by doing what we say. Look, get on, get on. Make just, the submissions. Make the call submissions. Politicians, read, educate share yourself. Share the video, etc. Yep. And that's the power, right? Because if, a, if ordinary people do think of themselves as being ordinary, I'm just a normal person, I don't know anything about politics can say, I want to do something about the country. I want to take responsibility for my area. And they simply pick up the phone and make a phone call. That is an enormous 
no, it is. contribution towards the fight. So we, you know, this this uh, goes out over YouTube. You know, thousands of people watch it. If everyone did a little bit, it creates a tsunami effect and it moves. We've had a lot of we've had a lot of success on the back of that. So today's message, um, with everything we've covered, though, uh, get have a look at our press release on this manufacturing inquiry and please make a submission. The link will be there. You just click on it. Send in an email, or, or if you can make a bigger submission, do that. Please make a submission. Let's actually make sure this inquiry addresses the National Development Bank as well and add to the crescendo of calls for this, and at a certain point, it'll become um, overwhelming. And the key, Rob, is just have fun with it. I yep. mean, this is, this is making positive policy. This is not talking about what's happened in the past. We want to create a future with these policies in mind so people get involved. Yes. Have some fun with it. Well, Craig, on that note, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks to the viewer. Tune in next week for more of the Citizens Report.